Good evening and welcome. Uh, give us a few moments while everyone uh, joins in this evening or wherever you are. Good afternoon, good morning. It's a great pleasure for us to be engaging with you today and uh, we're really looking forward to a fantastic session. Please do uh, grab pen and paper. Uh, I think you'll find there are going to be more than just one golden nugget uh, today. There are going to be many opportunities for you to write down some things can really help you uh, with, uh, you know, now and, and for the future. So please do take some time to make some notes. I'd love to officially welcome everybody to this, um, this amazing um, evening and opportunity for everyone to really engage and learn a huge, huge amount and take some golden nuggets away with them. This is very much a, a discussion on motivating yourself to change. And a lot of you um, may or may not know of the British School of Etiquette, but we're a market leader, the market leader in our industry. And we are very, very focused on EQ, uh, IQ, or you could even call it emotional etiquette. It's, it's I truly believe that the head and the heart are totally joined. And in my opinion, when we focus on, on emotional intelligence and we can grow as individuals with our EQ, we can literally, literally change our lives. Boom, maybe not overnight, but it's a process. And I, again, truly believe that people with strong EQ, it's almost impossible to have bad etiquette and bad manners. That is how closely aligned they are. And uh, for me, it, it really has been a lifelong journey of mine, working with amazing people from around the world and having the opportunity to again, connect and engage with so many fascinating people from all corners of the earth. The British School of Etiquette is very much founded on bringing cultures together, learning from one another and growing and showing huge respect for one another. This is what this is all about. This evening, we are joined by a very dear friend of mine, a gentleman who I've known, I don't want, well, many, many years, and we go back a long way. Richard Cullinan is a true academic, uh, an incredibly diligent person when it comes to mastering his skills and his ability to grow and build on these academic parts of our life. And Richard has basically been, it's his life's work really, putting all his energy and effort into researching and writing books and knowledge, not just in emotional intelligence, but in other areas. And I'm not going to go into that right now because the, the, the evening is obviously very focused on, on what Richard's going to share with us in this uh, webinar, which is motivating yourself to change. So Richard, I would love to just welcome you uh, all the way there in South Africa. A warm welcome. I know it's a bit chilly in Johannesburg right now. So very, very warm welcome, Rich. Thank you, Phil. It's wonderful to be with you and to be with everybody. Welcome to this forum. I look so forward to sharing some of my insights and um, some actions that you can take uh, to manage change more effectively and even to initiate change in your life. Um, I think we're going through a very difficult time all over the world with the pandemic. Um, and we've been forced uh, to change the way we do things. And so I think uh, it's an opportune time uh, for this webinar to come about. And I also encourage all of you at the end of the webinar to uh, continue engaging with Philip and I. Uh, we, we will try and answer any questions that you might have. Um, and I'm looking so forward to sharing with you over the next half an hour, 45 minutes or so. 
Excellent, Rich. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, Carol's just dropped in the chat box. Any questions, please put them in the Q&A box on your, uh, from your screen. Uh, there's no further sort of housekeeping rules. We are going to run this uh, webinar very much. I'm going to be asking Richard quite a few questions and Richard will be answering them, uh, giving you some insights into, into the questions I've prepared and, and put together for Richard. So Richard, I'd love to kick off uh, the session by how can, can you explain why acceptance rather than resistance is key to unlocking the personal energy you need to adapt, uh, well, adapt to and initiate change? Yes, Phil. Um, you know, I think it's human nature to want things to stay the same. And we get comfortable with our routines, with our relationships, with the work that we do. Um, and it's, it's almost like a comfort zone that we get into. Um, in fact, the more things change, uh, the more we want them to stay the same. Now, when we faced with change, like for example, we're experiencing with a pandemic, um, our human nature is to try and resist that change. And I like to think of resisting change as almost practicing non-acceptance. When we don't accept the changes that are going on around us or within ourselves, um, and also with, within our family, there's a sort of friction that develops within us and, and between us as, as people. We, we tend to lash out at things uh, because we don't accept them. And we can often fall into criticism about our circumstances. And this creates an internal and external disharmony in our lives. Now, when we practice acceptance, um, it's far easier to understand ourselves and tolerate our situation um, because we're accepting ourselves for who we are and the circumstances for what they are. Um, it's far easier for us to believe in what's going on in the present moment. This what I call present mind awareness um, and tolerance allows us to go with the flow a little bit. Um, and this releases a positive energy uh, inside us and it makes it far easier for us to adapt to and even initiate change, uh, which can enrich and encourage us, um, especially in the world that we're living in now, which is beset with change. Often change will also cause um, a fear response, uh, which results in anxiety. Now, when we talk about emotional intelligence, uh, we talk about anxiety, which branches out from the fear emotion. Um, now, anxiety is a low level form of fear that can either be temporary um, or it can become consistent and uh, happen, happen a lot. When anxiety becomes consistent in your life, um, it can actually become a clinical uh, problem, uh, like, like clinical depression uh, is a problem. Now, the common variety of anxiety that most of us go through uh, comes and goes and is often brought about by worry. Um, and worry can have its roots in change. If we think about all the changes we're going through, we worry about whether we will be able to work successfully remotely. 
um, we worry about our finances. Um, we worry about our relationships. I think particularly uh, husbands and wives have had to get used to living really closely with one another in lockdown. And those relationships may have experienced strain. Um, yeah, and you know, when we experience these changes um, and these worries start taking over, um, it can become like chronic worrying. And I think when people, people who are chronic worriers, they think they're solving their problems. Now, the truth is about change is when we're faced with change, we have a whole bunch of problems that come with it and we need to solve them. If we become a chronic warrior, we think we're solving problems, but in fact, we're not solving our problems. What we're doing is we're creating a psychological environment um, where it's very difficult for us to think creatively and critically. Um, and we can't think flexibly and be adaptable and think agilely. And like other negative emotions, uh, including stress, cynicism and pessimism, what happens um, in our brains is uh, our brain cells find it far more difficult to transmit messages between one another because these negative emotions create inhibiting chemicals. And these inhibiting chemicals can stop or inhibit um, the transmission of messages between brain cells. So chronic worrying or negative emotions that um, are created because of worry inhibit our ability to think flexibly and creatively and even to learn effectively. Now the best way of, uh, one of the best ways of counteracting this negative thing of worrying chronically all the time is to catch the worry at its inception. You know, you might hear the sound, smell the smell or think the thought. Um, if you are practicing awareness and consciousness, we call it in emotional intelligence, um, you're able to say, sure, I'm about to start worrying, catch it at its inception, and then step aside from the worry and offer yourself a plausible alternative viewpoint. Interrogate the worry objectively and provide an alternate viewpoint. When you do this, the worry loses its persuasive power and you allow your critical brain, brain an opportunity um, to counteract um, that negative worrying thought. And then to leave it alone. Um, if you just continue worrying, it's like you carrying on with this low grade cycle of melodrama going round and around and around and without ever achieving um, a solution to the problem that you might have. So when we practice acceptance um, and release the energy within us to cope with change, we can employ the right tactics and the right mindset, which will quieten down our worrying thoughts. By reducing our feelings of anxiety, we're far more able to enjoy the journey of change. You know, when you embrace change, it's, it can actually be a really enjoyable trip. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying change is easy. In fact, make no error, change is difficult. Um, it is more than often costly and time consuming. 
Um, you know, very often in my consulting in the corporate environment, people think, especially managers, they think they can initiate change and everybody will be on board tomorrow. And what happens is not everybody is on board tomorrow because people respond emotionally to change. And in fact, people go through four phases um, of emotions before they commit to change. Initially, they will deny that the change is even happening. Uh, they might say, how can this happen to me? This is terrible. I don't accept it. Um, and then <clears throat> after denying that the change is actually happening, um, people will start objecting, uh, getting argumentative about it. Like, um, you know, why should I do this? Why should I do that? If you think about the lockdown uh, rules that have been thrown at us, you know, in different countries all over the world, um, we've objected quite strongly to a number of those regulations and even thought they were petty. Um, but eventually we found after a month or six months in lock, six weeks in lockdown, you know, we start accepting the changes and eventually after time again, we start to commit to the change. Mm -hmm. um, and our lives change substantially. And then of course in life, um, we faced with a new change and we go through the process again. Um, it's so important, especially in a, if you're in a position of leadership to understand this, because if you understand that people go through these four phases of responding to change, um, you're far less likely to get frustrated that people are not coming on board quick enough. Um, yeah, so the key for me is to reduce the time it takes personally to go through that cycle of change so that we can respond in a more agile and accepting way. If you have an accepting mindset, an embracing mindset, it's far easier to go through those four phases rather rapidly. Um, so developing a positive mindset about change is crucial. Uh, and also what happens is if you have a positive mindset, the opportunities that come up through the change, you're far more likely to grasp and take and go for. Sure. So if we look at the rapid changes we've been going through right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we can actually realize that we're far more adaptable um, in being able to adjust to change than we perhaps thought we were. Um, just look at it. I mean, our kids, uh, are, a lot of them are taking classes online. Parents have learned to become tutors. Um, a lot of us have learned to shift our businesses online and work remotely. Um, we've got used to the idea of wearing a mask in public transport or when we go out. So we've actually adapted uh, quite well to a lot of these changes. But the people that accepted the new normal quickly and were able to adjust to the changes um, were able to pivot their businesses. And they were able to solve problems more critically and more creatively um, and be innovative. And they've thrived. Now, like most things in life, the way we respond to things depend on our willingness to adjust and change. The benefits of being able to do so are immeasurable. And importantly, the transition from resistance to acceptance 
opens the door to being able to handle the change, but also it increases our happiness levels, um, it increases our sense of purpose, um, and so increases the fulfillment that we have in our lives. I love it. Yeah. And that was a short, short question with a phenomenal answer. So, so thank you. That, that's very, very insightful. And, and just I jot down a few notes then. Really, really useful. So thank you. Rich, the second question I've got here is, why is it so important to know your strengths and your weaknesses when you are faced with a changing landscape? So strengths and weaknesses while we're faced with this hugely changing landscape. Yeah, I think, you know, Phil, self-knowledge is so important because we are all uniquely made. Mm -hmm. um, and if we understand our different personalities, um, and the way, um, the way our intelligences are grouped together to create the person that we are, uh, we're far more likely to choose to do things which are aligned to our strengths. Um, in the course that we have at the British School of Etiquette called Know Yourself, Know Others, we explore these strengths by examining whether you are predominantly a left or right brain thinker, um, and this is an introduction to uh, the personality theory that we teach on the program. Um, and we also look at what dominant type of intelligence you have as defined by Harvard professor Howard Gardner, who um, a number of years ago came up with his definitive study uh, on intelligences and it's called multiple intelligences theory. Um, I would like to share a couple of slides with you uh, just to explain um, where I'm going with this. So I'm just going to pull up the first slide. I'm, I'm just not able to share, Phil. I'll just pop that up there. Uh, sorry. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, great. Thank you. Okay, so this first slide, let me just bring it up big. So in this first slide, um, I'm quite sure a lot of you have heard about the idea that, you know, you might be a left brain thinker or a right brain thinker. Um, the truth is we have both a left and a right brain and we are very capable of being able to think with our left brain and think with our right brain. Um, the left brain hemisphere has more to do with logical vertical thinking and um, the, the, the sort of characteristics that are, that are uh, grouped in, in the left, left hemisphere of the brain are, are um, thinking skills like analysis, being able to do mathematics, um, logical sequential thinking, uh, being able to organize things, time, resources, money, um, and also our ability to create and understand language is based in our, in, in our left hemisphere of our brain. Um, in the right brain hemisphere, you find people that are more dominant in the right brain hemisphere are more creative. Um, they tend to see the bigger picture 
um, and they can see objects in space and the relationship between objects in space. They tend to be more visual thinkers, whether your left brain, where your left brain thinkers are more fact-based. Um, creative people uh, are more interested in aesthetics. You can think about interior designers, graphic designers, and artists. And they're more driven by emotion, uh, whereas your logical thinkers are more driven by facts and figures. If we take this concept um, to the next level, I can share with you the personality theory that we, um, we, we learn uh, on the course Know Yourself, Know Others. Um, it's based on the Herman Brand dominance instrument, which was um, first created by Ned Herman uh, in the last century uh, when he was working for General Electric um, as a leadership consultant uh, to discover what individuals, um, what their preference was when it came to decision making, when it came to communication, and when it came to problem solving, with the purpose of allowing different individuals with different types of personalities to contribute effectively in a team and for the team to get the best out of the people within that team because they were operating within their dominant personality. Now, you'll see here you have an analyzer and an explorer um, in, the, in the top uh, half of this model. And generally, analyzers and explorers think with their head. Uh, so more with their, their, their neocortex. Um, your organizers and your senses, not that they don't think with their neocortex, but they predominantly think with their emotional brain or the limbic system within the brain. So you also have the left mode and uh, your analyzers and organizers are uh, set up in, in the left of this mo model. Um, you can see analyzers are more into facts. Um, they use quantitative reasoning. Um, they have a critical approach to thinking. Um, they make rational decisions. Um, they like mathematics um, and formulas and percentages. And uh, they approach things in a logical fashion um, and prefer to analyze the facts before they make decisions. Uh, they are slower to act uh, than your right brain um, personalities. Um, staying on the left side, you have your organizer type of personality. Um, your organizer is relatively conservative, likes to be in control of situations. And you'll often find that CEOs or managers of organizations uh, are organizers. Um, time is very important to them. Sequential logic is very important to them. They are detailed. So when you communicate with them, they want the detail. Um, they're relatively dominant as personalities, and that's why they find themselves often in leadership positions. And then on the right-hand side, you have your explorer personality or yellow quadrant personality. These people think with their head, and they're imaginative and artistic. Uh, they like the big picture. In fact, they're like a canvas with nothing on it so that they can paint their thoughts onto that canvas. They're intuitive. Um, 
and they like synthesis. They like things to work together, even things that seem disparate. Um, and they're spatial thinkers. So they see in pictures, in objects, in space. Um, and then you have your beautiful sense of personalities who are more emotional than all the other three personalities. Um, they love music. Um, they tend to be more spiritual than the other personalities. They're intuitive and so on. Now, the human brain dominance instrument doesn't dictate that you are simply an explorer or that you're simply an organizer or that you're simply a sensor. Um, what it does is it explains that, in fact, you are all four of these personalities. It's just that one or two will tend to dominate. Mm -hmm. And when you know which one or two tend to dominate, you then get a good grasp of what your strengths are you also get a good understanding of what your weaknesses are. And the reason we call this Know Yourself, Know Others on the program is because this also gives you a great insight into the people that you have in your lives, uh, whether they're your spouses, whether they're your colleagues uh, or friends and family. Now I wanna move on to the next slide where we look at um, multiple intelligences theory as defined by Howard Gardner. Um, Howard Gardner um, determined that we have eight different types of intelligence which are one, two, or three intelligence, maybe even four intelligences that are dominant uh, in, your, in your mental makeup. And um, you know, unlike an IQ test, which is very prescriptive um, and can cause a lot of consternation, particularly if you score a low score, um, multiple intelligences theory um, has been used extensively in the United States, um, especially for, for young, young, young people um, who do not, who, who uh, teachers and educators do not want to Want, want these, their kids to be boxed into a corner by IQ. And so all of us can discover, um, and I'm sure some of you will relate to some of these intelligences like linguistic intelligence, um, the ability to write well, um, to be interested in the, in the written word, um, logical mathematical intelligence, which is arriving at a sequential answer um, spatial intelligence, I mentioned that in personality theory, and what you will see is your intelligences and your personality start matching, and you start being able to match the two. Bodily kinesthetic intelligence, well, that would be a great sportsman. Um, Hand-eye coordination. Um, and, and not just sportsmen, you know, you could have a crane operator who has great hand-eye coordination with high bodily kinesthetic intelligence. Then we have our music, our people who, who love music, uh, have an ear for music, play a musical instrument. Um, and then we have interpersonal intelligence. And I think very crucially in our emotional intelligence programs, we focus a lot on interpersonal as well as intrapersonal intelligence. Interpersonal intelligence is about your social intelligence, your ability uh, to build relationships. 
Um, interpersonal intelligence is more internal. It's more of a focus on what's going on inside you. Um, your self-awareness, for example, the way you manage your emotions, the way you manage your thoughts and your processes. And then, of course, naturalist intelligence, people who are interested in the weather, in nature, um, in animals, and, in, and also in human causes. So I'm just going to step out of the share here, Phil. I think the key to understand is when we know um, what our dominant personality is and we know what our dominant intelligence is, we can build a profile of ourselves which is all about our strengths. When you know yourself on that level and you're faced with change, you can solve that problem using your strengths. And if you don't have the right strengths to solve an intractable problem which requires being solved, you can employ the intelligence and personality of another individual to help you to overcome that problem. So, so crucial that we know our strengths and weaknesses uh, when we're faced with change and also when we initiate change. Excellent, thanks very much. That was uh, fascinating, it really is. Now, why is finding purpose and meaning in your life so important when you are faced with change or need to adapt to the new circumstances? Yeah, purpose and meaning are so important. Um, you see, what we've just mentioned now, when we have a good grasp of who we are and what makes up our unique talents, we're far more likely to choose a path aligned to our strengths. After all, uh, when we do something that we love doing, uh, we very often become good at it. In fact, we become very good at it. Um, yeah, don't spend your life doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, it means that you're not operating in your strengths or you're not operating in your unique talents. Most people and businesses know what they do. Uh, in fact, they also know how they do it. But not all of them know why they do it. Um, and the truth is successful people and successful companies, they truly do know why they are doing things. Um, and they succeed because they're good at communicating their why, which is very often the problem that they're solving. Your unique talents should solve a problem for yourself and for the world and for your environment and for your community and for your business. Um, they're also deeply connected to their purpose because they know what their why is and they derive uh, meaning from this, uh, which drives them to achieve more. Now, uh, one of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote the book Outliers, um, he famously determined that to become a master at something requires 10,000 hours of practice. Um, if you break that down, uh, and let's say you, you focus 40 hours a week um, on your subject or your practice or your task that you wanted to become a master at, it would take you five years. But the reality is there's a lot of other stuff happening in our lives. So the truth is it's going to actually take longer than that. Um, and, you know, that's why it's a very good idea. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter what age you are in your life. It's a very good idea to find out what your strengths are 
and what your purpose and meaning is, what your why is, so that you can get on with it. Um, because he also famously determined in that book that when people become masters at what they do, money actually starts chasing them, success and material things actually start chasing them. Um, yet, you know, I believe that a lot of us spend a lot of time in our minds thinking about how to create money or how to chase money. But when we focus our energy and unique talents on becoming a master at something, once we do become a master, it's reversed and the money and material things start being added unto you. Um, so when we're faced with change uh, and we're faced with making decisions, um, make sure that the decisions you make are premised on the strengths you have. Um, and when you focus on your strengths, you're more than likely gonna make the right decisions and not waste the opportunities that change bring with it. Super. Now, out of all this change, which is obviously everyone's thinking crumbs, how do I change? Uh, this really leads on to a you know, perfect, perfect opportunity to ask you this next question. How do we set goals uh, to deal with change that are aligned uh, to our strengths? So once you've sort of taken on board your why and your purpose and things start to, well, you, you, you're starting to discover everything, taking on board and setting up the, 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 the initiative to move in that direction, how do we go about that? Okay, I'm going to pop a slide up uh, to answer that question, Phil. Uh, just get the correct slide, forgive me. There, put that one. Okay. Ah. Right. I think a lot of you will have, have heard people talk about smart goals. Um, and basically, it's ensuring that your goals are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Um, and I, I, you know, I think it's really important to understand these concepts as well. Um, if you're not specific about your goals, they will just remain wishes. Um, you in fact have to write them down. Like if you say your goal is, I want to read more um, to advance my knowledge, uh, or I want to do exercise, for example, the chances are you won't achieve those goals because it's not specific enough. But if you say to yourself, I will walk for 30 minutes on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 p.m. in the evening, it is so specific that you can actually put it in your diary. And the chances of you achieving that very simple goal is more than likely uh, possible. When we look at measurable, um, in performance management, we often say that what you measure is invariably what you get uh, in business speak. Now, measuring your progress by quantifying your performance based on the time you invest in your priority activities ensures your progression is more rapid and your evaluation of your performance more honest. The key there is prioritize. Um, don't be dictated to by your schedule but rather be dictated to by what is priority in your life. Measuring the return you get on the time that you invest, um, if you do it, can be disheartening because you realize that you're either not investing enough time 
or you're investing a lot of time with no result, um, or it can be motivating uh, to measure the investment that you're making in trying to achieve your goal. It really depends on how committed you are and the way you manage your time. Now, achievable, uh, you know, we must make goals that take into account our strengths and capabilities, uh, as well as our weaknesses. You know, don't choose goals like, for example, um, I have relatively low mathematical intelligence. And if I chose a goal which involved a lot of math, um, that would be difficult for me to achieve because it was not aligned to my strengths. So it's so key uh, that your goals are aligned to your strengths and capabilities because then they become more achievable. So think hard about your strengths and also the resources that you've got at hand. Uh, for example, the time you have, the money you have, possibly the technology that's available to you before you set your goals so that they are achievable. And then, you know, unrealistic goals are so difficult to achieve that they often feel, uh, we often feel disillusioned. Um, and, and yet, you know, I, I've done it many years of my life uh, when, we, when, when the new year comes around and we make New Year's resolutions and you might make a New Year's resolution that's unrealistic and within a week or two weeks, you revert back to the old habit that you had before. Um, and then you become disillusioned with yourself and you stop actually setting goals. Your goals need to be relevant to your circumstances and align with what you can realistically achieve within a certain time frame. Realistic goals are easier to achieve when you do achieve them. Uh, they build your confidence and allow you st to stay motivated and set new goals. So make sure they're realistic. Um, so that you can achieve them. That will build your confidence and give you the confidence you need to set another goal. Um, always make your, your goals time-bound. You know, consider the amount of time you want to invest in prior, priority activities you need to do in order to achieve your goal. And when you set a deadline for your goal made up of progressive milestones, which you can achieve one at a time, you're more likely to achieve it. Um, we tend to think of the end game all the time, but it's actually the small steps that we take, which I want to talk about just now, that are so much more important. Always best invest enough time in the planning phase uh, to ensure that you have enough time to execute your goal. We often don't invest enough time in planning and thinking about the kind of solutions we want to create. Um, and then the other thing is your goals are not going to be achieved if, if there's no burning desire uh, or strong emotion uh, behind the need to achieve those goals. Um, and just finally, Phil, I think it's better to have fewer goals that are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely than a set of loosely thrown together solutions that you want to achieve. So fewer goals with um, a burning desire to achieve them and then being specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely in your process of achieving them. Right, excellent. 
And Rick, something that I've always managed to do and, and I found incredibly valuable is actually breaking the goals down into small steps um, rather than looking at this like a tidal wave or, you know, because I think, you know, while you're still keeping your eye on the, on the prize or on what you want to achieve, I know that it's these baby steps that really help me achieve a lot more, uh, you know, whenever I set my goals. Yeah. Could you elaborate on that uh, for the audience, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Phil, we've just mentioned about um, achieving milestones on the pathway to achieving the goal that you've set for yourself and how important those small steps are. Um, to sort of answer this question, I'd like to refer to a study that was done by Walter Michelle, a psychologist from Stanford, Uni Stanford University in the 1970s, which is often referred to as the marshmallow test. And some of you might, might know about this test. Um, what he did is he got young kids around the age of four years old uh, to sit in a room uh, devoid of any distractions. And he gave these kids a choice. So he showed them two marshmallows and said to them, they were about four years old, said to them, now, if you like, you can have one marshmallow immediately which means you can't have both, but you can have one immediately. Alternatively, um, you allow me to leave the room for 15 minutes. And when I come back, if you have not eaten the one marshmallow, I'll allow you to eat both marshmallows. Um, and this, this was an extraordinary study um, because these kids were then followed into adolescence and into adulthood. Um, and the, the research actually took many, many years and decades to, to complete. Um, one of the things is the kids that didn't grab the, the one marshmallow um, distracted themselves in that room. Uh, they would hold their heads in their hand. They would tap their feet on the floor. Some of them would walk around singing a song. Um, they were doing stuff to, to to let the time go by um, so that they could get those two marshmallows. Um, and the kids that grabbed the one marshmallow, unfortunately, um, what was discovered in the research is that impulsivity um, and not delaying gratification like the kids with two marshmallows did, resulted in them struggling. Um, they had lower SAT scores. Um, they had uh, they were unhealthier uh, with body mass index. Mm -hmm. um, they struggled with educational attainment. Um, they were socially awkward. Um, they were prone to jealousy and envy and also uh, tended to start fights and, and arguments with people. Whereas the, the ones that waited and, and grabbed and waited for the two marshmallows, um, they did better on their SAT scores. Um, they had improved academic achievement. Um, they tended to set goals in their life that they were able to achieve. They were smart goals. They were prepared to go through the motions, take the steps that one needs to take in order to delay their gratification and get the prize at the end of the day. Um, and that's how I'd like to sort of describe my answer to, to, your, to your question. Um, so, you know, we do it in our house now. Um, when we, 
we're planning for a holiday or, um, you know, obviously, I don't know about you, Philip, but at this stage in my life, I'm also thinking about, you know, planning for when I get a bit older. Um, so we're looking at saving money for, for later on. Um, we often look at our decisions and we say, is it a one marshmallow decision or is it a two marshmallow decision? And I encourage all of you to use this analogy. When you're about to make a decision, and particularly when there's change going on all around you, because when there's a lot of change going on, you have to make decisions because you're solving problems. Always think about the two marshmallows. Is it worth waiting for? If it is worth waiting for, it's worth taking the small steps one needs to, to achieve the prize at the end of the day. Lovely analogy. Yeah, I love that. And um, it's fascinating. It really is. It, it's yeah. hugely fascinating. And, and again, I suppose, with, along with all of this, why, why is it so important having a good attitude when, when we are faced with these challenges and setbacks and obstacles? Yeah, so, so very important. Um, I'm going to pop up another slide, uh, which I'd like to take you guys through. Let me just share my screen. Um, so yeah, having a good attitude, I know, is so important when we're faced with challenges and setbacks and obstacles. Why is it so, so, so important and so good to have this uh, ability? Yeah, well, you know, Phil, for me, attitude and mindset are almost synonymous. Mm -hmm. uh, they could even be the same word. Um, now, the slide that I, I'm sharing with all of you depicts um, on the left hand concept of the fixed and growth mindset was first popularized by Dr. Carol Dweck, um, who said that success in life is how you deal with failure. Failure, she said, is information. For example, this didn't work. I'm a problem solver. Let me try something else. You see, being able to think in an agile way and solve problems effectively, which is what we do when we're faced with change, is so closely linked to attitude. Indeed, Dweck says that attitude or mindset is a far better determinant of success in the world and in work and in life than is IQ. Um, now, if we look on the left-hand side at the fixed mindset, we see how people with a fixed mindset um, they, 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 they desire to look smart rather than behave smart. And they have a tendency to avoid challenges. They give up easily when faced with obstacles and see effort as a fruitless endeavor. People with a fixed mindset tend to ignore criticism, particularly if it's negative. In fact, they can very often get angry or walk away. You will find people with a fixed mindset tend to complain a lot and simply believe that they are the way they are and they cannot change. Now, you don't have to be boxed into this position. Even if you, after hearing this, might think, oh, I do have a bit of a fixed mindset. It is absolutely possible. Um, like emotional intelligence, you're not... Uh, you're not restricted to the emotional intelligence or EQ that you have now. It's something that can be developed over time. It's totally self-determined. And with practice and development, you can increase your EQ. 
And it's the same with your mindset. People who develop a growth mindset, they like to look at things and learn from things. Um, in fact, they see life as a lifelong learning experience. Mm. They have a tendency to embrace change or the challenges that change brings with it. They persist in the, case of fit, uh, in the face of setbacks. You know the old adage, um, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up that counts. And they see the effort as a path to mastery or personal mastery. And we mentioned a little bit earlier about mastery and how mastery um, will employ all your unique talents, all your strengths, and give you an opportunity to be really successful. These people often seek out criticism. They love criticism because they're gonna learn from it. Um, they don't mind making mistakes or failing at something because they're gonna learn from it and do it better next time. So they use feedback to learn and grow. Um, people with a growth mindset handle change better and they take action because they are not scared to fail. They're flexible and adaptable and will most often expect to be successful at what they attempt. It's no use attempting something without expecting to succeed at it. Otherwise, it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy and if you don't believe you will uh, make it, you won't make it. Um, and I, I just want to cap off the answer to that question, Phil, uh, with, with something that Henry Ford said. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or think you can't, either way, you are right. Now, people with a growth mindset, they think they can because they believe they can. That's a fantastic, uh, a fantastic um, saying from Henry Ford, and, and I know Charles, Charles Edison. You know, when he, when he was putting the light bulb together, I think he had over ten thousand attempts, and he never once said he failed. He just learned ten thousand ways not to to create and make a light bulb, which is just outstanding. And this is something we actually focus heavily on in our mindset and manners for our teenagers, as you know, mm. and and it's phenomenal um, giving them these opportunities to really establish an incredible growth mindset and giving them the tools on, on how to do this. And this all boils down to, you know, managing your emotions and, and getting to know yourself, uh, which is fantastic. Rich, okay. um, I know this is uh, one that there's a huge amount of um, input you can give me on this, but let's just in brief, why should we use both critical and creative thinking to overcome the challenges we face when dealing with this, in, with, with any sort of change? Okay. Look, um, when, we, when we're dealing with change, we are essentially solving problems, Phil. Uh, to process complex information and solve problems effectively, uh, we need to access both the left and right uh, hemispheres of, of, our, of our brain. Um, interestingly, uh, becoming left or right brain dominant is something that happens with age. When we are infants, we are perfectly capable of thinking as much with our left, hands, uh, our left hemisphere brands and, and our right hemisphere brands. It's just as we get older that we tend to prefer operating in one or the other. Um, but the truth is we can, like um, being able to see, hear, um, all your senses, uh, walking, talking, 
all of these things that we do require both left and right brain uh, hemisphere activity. Um, and if we want to be agile, flexible, and adaptable in solving problems when faced with change, we need to develop both sides of our brain and not get stuck in one dominant sphere. Um, so when we do get stuck in one dominant sphere, it puts a lot of strain on our neurological system, thus limiting our performance. For most of, uh, as I discussed, for most of our vision and movement, we require both sides of our brain, uh, that bilateral movement. Um, and when you have bilateral movement, both sides of your brain are switched on. And if you think about it, the sort of activities that you could do um, to get the left brain muscle working would be reading, assimilating information, putting aside Google Maps and trying to remember the address that you're going to and using your mind to find your way to uh, navigate your way to that place. Um, yeah, remembering phone numbers or doing addition in your mind as opposed to using a calculator. All these sorts of things exercise the left brain. Um, you know, <clears throat> so the left brain can be, left brain thinking can be considered vertical or logical thinking, um, which is really concerned with what is, which is the facts at hand. Now, when we think critically, we use deductive reasoning using facts to arrive at quantifiable answers. And that is essentially critical thinking. Um, the father of creative thinking, Edward de Bono, he said that creative or lateral thinking is less concerned about what is, but more concerned about what might be. Um, so when we think creatively, we work across the path of logical thought and allow creative thinking to dislodge sensible and logical patterns, revealing new and exciting ideas and scenarios. With lateral thinking, the key is to suspend logical or vertical thought and free your mind to explore alternative scenarios and ideas. Um, now, whether you're left or right brain dominant, when you step out of your own conditioning and think differently, you start think, seeing things from a different angle. You start asking different questions. Um, and those questions start opening up to you, which help you to solve problems and create new paradigms or models of life which you were not exposed to before. And this helps a lot when dealing with change and solving problems around change. So I want to share with you a just a, it's a lateral thinking problem that Einstein uh, saw in his imagination. Um, I want you to imagine a man and an object, let's call it a ball, falling off a rooftop at the same time. The question is, from the man's point of view, how fast is the ball or object moving? Now, I'm going to answer it because yeah, it's, it's not that easy, but um, mo most people will look at it from a what is perspective or from a front on viewers perspective. And they will say that the man and the ball are moving at the same pace, which means fast, falling down to the earth. Okay. Um, and that's because we tend to look at things 
through a logical vertical point of view as what is. Now, if you had to think laterally, how would you observe this problem and make new deductions? So Einstein observed this problem in his imagination, deducing that from the man's perspective, the object or ball would not be descending, it would not even be seen to be moving. From this, he developed the provocative idea that the man and the ball were both in motion and still simultaneously. This enabled Einstein to grasp a concept that almost defied logic. And that is that time and space are not absolute, but relative. And that's extraordinary because, you know, um, the beautiful thing about Einstein is he was a scientist and an imagineer. In fact, he said that imagination is more important than knowledge. For knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world stimulating pros, uh, progress, giving birth to evolution. So if anyone told you that you were not creative, do not believe them because you're also able to see things from alternative perspectives because you're equally made up of analytical and creative abilities. When these abilities work simultaneously together, it allows us to solve problems critically and creatively and therefore deal with change in a far more holistic fashion. You know, um, if you think about the kind of world that we live in now, especially from a business perspective, um, we have rapid innovation and disruptions happening all the time. If you want to be able to respond effectively to disruption or innovation from a competitor, you cannot just think about what is you have to think about what might be as well. Um, so yeah, there we go. I love that. I love that. And, that, and that's, oh, that's the golden key there. It's a phenomenal golden nugget. Yeah. How does, uh, so this is something I, I, I absolutely swear by, and I'd love to ask your, your, get your input here. How does self-talk uh, impact our ability to manage and initiate change in our lives <clears throat> and in our work? Yeah. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. You know, how we talk to ourselves is, is so important and it often determines how successful we are at things. Um, believe it or not, we have <clears throat> on average about 50,000 thoughts in a day. Um, <clears throat> and each one of those thoughts sets off a chemical reaction in our brains, which is felt in our bodies and expressed through our emotions responses and behavior. Negative thoughts can create negative feelings like frustration, anxiety, anger, sadness, and fear. As I've mentioned previously, <clears throat> negative emotions produce inhibiting chemicals in our brain, which stop or inhibit us from thinking flexibly and adaptively. So when we experience, on the other hand, positive emotions, which are generated by positive self-talk, um, and we have feelings of compassion, self-love, optimism, and joy, what happens is the brain produces neurotransmitters, um, which speed up the transmission of messages between brain cells and allow us to learn better, think more clearly, and solve problems better and therefore 
deal with, initiate, and manage and adapt to change better. So developing a positive self-talk is so important. Um, it is not only reassuring and reaffirming, um, it, is, it creates the good fuel that you need in your mind, in your brain, um, to, to, to operate at an agile optimum performance level. Outstanding. I love it. And I don't know we could go deep into this because it's, it's something that uh, you and I hold uh, in our lives. You know, we have obviously tools to trigger us uh, and, and really, you know, because we all have good days and bad days, absolutely. And uh, it's very, very powerful. And Rich, the final sort of question I've sort of prepared is, I mean, obviously, there's, there's an obvious answer to this, but again, I'd love to sort of just reiterate, why, why is it so important to, to surround ourselves with good people? Not only just when we face with change, but in general, what is, what, what give people the benefits of this? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's really becoming aware of how important it is to surround yourself with good people. Um, you know, because especially change and the kind of changes that we're experiencing in the world today, um, they can seem daunting and, and truly challenging um, from a personal, financial, um, life, work perspective. Um, so it's not only the intelligent thing to do to surround yourself with uh, good people, but surrounding yourself with good people um, and leaning on them can also help you to solve problems. Uh, we don't have to do everything on our own, you see. Um, another one of my favorite authors is Napoleon Hill, who wrote the book Think and Grow Rich uh, in the early 1920s, where he studied over 400 successful industrialists in, in America to find out what the, their elixir of life was or what their secret to life was. Um, and without going into that, um, it could even come up in the Q&A, is the key was uh, these people understood the law of attraction. But another key, a very important key, was that to be successful, you need to build uh, a brain trust, which is a group of people who are similarly, um, uh, have a similar positive disposition to you, um, but may have different skills. And um, so their different capabilities will allow you to tap in. Let's say, for example, you have somebody who um, is good with finances uh, and you might not be, or somebody is good at um, business strategy or somebody who's good at personal relationships. Um, <clears throat> when we're faced with change, a lot of these things come up and um, we can tap in to our brain's trust and get advice on how best to proceed. Um, and that's why brain's trust is so important. Um, of course, so is being open to healthy criticism, like we discussed with the growth mindset, uh, because you want people in your brain's trust to also offer alternative viewpoints, not just to agree with you. Um, and you also want to choose people that are more evolved than you, people who are smarter than you. You know, they say if you want to employ somebody who's going to be good for your business, employ somebody who's smarter than you um, and then also more evolved than you. And also you want people in your brain's trust who have a genuine interest 
in your success and your happiness. So Phil, I, 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 I don't know if you have any more questions or if yeah, you come to the end. No, it was superb. I, yeah, no, amazing. I mean, obviously I could keep going and I'm sure, uh, you know, by looking at the participants, participants they've all they've all very much remain engaged so rich i know um i'd love to sort of end up before we go to q a i'd love you just to share with everyone what we've got on offer um to help not only everyone watching but just everyone that you come into life with i know because um it's always too late she cried potentially but i know that you know you and i talk regularly a couple of times a week and the amount of times we say gee if only we're that for example, had the opportunity to engage in a webinar such as what you just uh, very kindly answered all these questions 10 years ago, how our lives would have been, maybe no, no regrets, no regrets at all, but gee, maybe you would have just done things slightly differently or been that much further advanced in your life or, you know, being able to do something uh, because you knew the importance of EQ and how, how can it really, we can develop and grow our emotional intelligence to, to, to just build and be better people and help so many other people in our lives. So I know you've got a few um, things you'd love to do, just share with everyone before I go to yeah. the, question, uh, the questions that our audience may have. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd love to share the courses that we've got coming up, Phil. So I prepared a couple of slides, if everybody will just bear with me, and I'll take you through uh, what we have to offer. Um, So the, the first program um, that I'd like to share with everybody is Emotional Intelligence and Personal Mastery. Um, it's a five-week program uh, that starts, I think it's two... ...virtual mediated sessions, which I will be running. Um, and I'm also the designer and author of the program. Uh, what you get on the course is five books of knowledge with some truly life-changing exercises that you do, um, which will make a massive impact, um, not only on the way you communicate, but also the way you lead your life. Um, and just to briefly explain what emotional intelligence is all about, uh, we look at um, self-awareness, uh, we look at self-management, um, we look at social awareness and relationship management. And then, of course, we look at motivation, uh, which can be regarded as the fifth element of emotional intelligence. The normal price for the program is £1,465. Well, because you're attending the webinar, we are offering that to you at less 10%. Um, and if you refer one or more people uh, to the program and they sign up with us, you'll get a further credit of £50, making the course um, very valuable to you at £1,268. Um, also, the person that you refer to the course, if they sign up, they also will get the 10% discount um, that you will receive. The other course that we're running on Wednesday, the 29th of July, um, is called Know Yourself, Know Others. And I've alluded to some of the material um, within this webinar that's on that course, particularly around personalities, dominant intelligence. Uh, we also look at another personality model uh, variously described as the ocean model or the big five personality traits. Uh, the great thing about this course is at the end of it, 
um, you are able to build a very powerful profile of who you are and you will really understand your strengths and your unique talents um, when you complete this program. It's two 90-minute virtual mediated sessions. We run it on the same day. Uh, you receive a book of knowledge and some life-changing exercises. Um, the great thing about this course is um, it'll also show you uh, who, who you communicate with and who you're involved with in your life, whether they're colleagues or husbands or wives uh, or even children. Just importantly, uh, children only have fully developed personalities by the age of 16. So it's not a good idea to assess your child who's under the age of 16 from a personality point of view. If you refer one or more, per more people to the course, um, you get an additional 30 pound credit, making the short course a truly valuable 325 pounds. Um, and if you refer somebody else to the program, they will also receive a 10% discount. Super, Rich. And, and I just want to share with the audience that, you know, you, if you want to develop yourself uh, and know yourself, know others, that in itself, for any of you who run your own businesses or who are, you know, working for an organization, the more we get to know about other people, the more we can do for them and we can, you know, really help them. And this really is, again, will we'll, we'll be life-changing from not just a personal perspective, Point of view but also from a career point of view it really is it's, it's exceptional uh, yeah. right um rich well there's I... one other thing yes. i beg your pardon one other thing i'd just like to mention is the emotional intelligence and personal mastery program is made up of five modules um if you attend that course um, there is uh, an opportunity for you to attend another two additional modules and you will then qualify for the leadership program, the Emotional Intelligence Leadership Program, which as you know, um, you get the uh, Institute of Leadership Management Certificate um, and all the resources that that comes with. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, and there's many hidden, hidden sort of wow moments and golden nuggets, that's for sure. And I know for a fact, we've got a, a fantastic, well, of course, uh, leading with emotional intelligence is running right now and the amount well, the, the feedback and they've just finished uh, week three has just been exceptional and outstanding um so i'd urge anyone who is interested in taking a step to change their lives to to really jump on board or get hold of us here at the british school of etiquette and we can guide you and steer you um sonia who i know pretty well um an amazing woman who I've had the privilege of working with and who has really embraced her time with the, the British School of Etiquette. She has just shared something with us, which is, again, I think the world needs to be very aware of this. It, it's not going away in a hurry. So today she said that she believes that there's a strong likelihood of a second wave of this pandemic by the end of the year, which could be far worse than the first wave. Now, this is obviously unsettled, Sonia, and it's obviously gonna unsettle anybody who hears this. And everyone is trying to deal with the, the here and now and hope there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it feels difficult not to worry or feel anxious about the future in this climate. So there's no real, the, the, I suppose it is a question. Um, Rich, just briefly, how would you sort of give anyone some, uh, sort of some tools just to sort of take that on board and, and, and sort of handle this sort of scenario? Now, Phil, it's, it's scary. It's scary stuff. Um, but I think just like the first wave, 
um, if you practice acceptance rather than resistance, the earlier that you accept the uh, prospect of there being a second wave and uh, initiating and adapting to change that might come your way, um, the quicker you're going to be able to deal with it. Um, and also uh, inevitably take advantage of the opportunities that it presents. Um, I'm a very optimistic person and um, I will always see the silver lining um, in a problem. And I think if you have that perspective, if you have a growth mindset, um, if you are accepting and you are tolerant of change and you prepare to embrace change and see the good in it, um, it will allow you the opportunity to think critically and creatively to solve the problems that are going to be coming your way. It all boils down to attitude and mindset. And I love that answer. And again, you know, not just for Sonia, but again, if we can go out there and help people, you know, we've all got so many, um, so much experience behind us and that we've, we, we, you know, from head to toe are just covered in experience and knowledge and, 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 and education and take some of your strengths and see what you can do for other people. Because I promise you, you can turn your knowledge and your experience into you know, a business, it's a known fact, more, more so now than ever before, the, the online platform, people are learning and growing and equipping themselves that when we do get over this, and we will get over this, that we come out the other side incredibly powerful and very, very strong. So thanks, thanks for that answer, Rich. Um, right, so obviously this was sort of answered in a roundabout way, and again, I'd like to guide my children to find career paths with, which will align them with their strengths. Should we really analyze their type of intelligence um, on children or not as they are still evolving? Yeah, I sort of answered that um, in the, I think in the last question that I answered. Um, our children are only sort of evolved enough from a personality point of view um, by the time they're 16 years old. So, you know, when I train emotional intelligence in schools, and we include the personality module, uh, we don't do it with kids under the age of 16. Um, regarding Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences theory, um, I think more research could be done on that. Um, but I, I didn't get the name of the lady who answered the asked the question. Um, but you are finding in, the, in, 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 in America that uh, schools are using Howard Gardner's preference test uh, to ascertain early, um, young, what types of intelligence children are more dominant at. So, for example, a musical prodigy, uh, you will generally pick up at the age of three or four years old. Um, and that you don't really need to wait for. But when it comes to personality, um, it's best to start determining personality uh, once the child has reached the age of 16. Yeah, great, great. I, I mean, I would really love there to, you know, everyone still stayed very much engaged uh, on this, and, and I know we've run over, but that means that obviously there's been huge interest in what we've been sharing and what Richard's been sharing more likely. Um, please, are there any other questions from anybody? Anyone want to share anything? Anyone have any questions whatsoever? We would love to take this opportunity to try and answer them. Please don't be shy and feel free to drop them in either the chat box or the Q&A. Um, and, and again, I hope those questions were answered 
clearly and Sonia that helps uh, that you if you're able to to sort of take heed of those and, and put those put some flesh on the bone mm. and there's another there's another question coming in there which um, right so that's great so great Sonia's just complimented and said thanks for a wonderful mm. webinar um, and I know for a fact, uh, you know, especially someone like Sonia and some of the other attendees um, are making huge changes in their lives right now by embracing and realizing the power of, of EQ and what it can do for you. It's such an incredible journey to go on. Uh, and it's an exciting one. It's a hugely exciting one. Any further questions at all? No, doesn't, doesn't seem to be. So from, from me to all of you out there, it really, and, and on behalf of Richard, it really has been an honor and, an op and, a, and a great pleasure to you know, engage with you yet again. We will be running these webinars on a regular basis. Uh, we will be um, announcing them. Also is doing an incredible job along with our team. You know, Carol again, giving us incredible support. Um, there's a lot of magic that happens um, behind the scenes to make all of this happen. Uh, and a huge amount of time and energy and knowledge and experience goes into everything with huge passion. So please, you know, ladies and gentlemen, if there is anything we can support you with or help you in, just reach out to us um, and make some changes in your life. You know, every, every journey starts with one little step and we need, we need to do that. Uh, we need to take ourselves and, you know, challenge ourselves. You know, one of my coaches once said to me, Philip, get used to the feeling of feeling uncomfortable. And I scratched my head for a couple of moments. I was like, crumbs, what do you mean? And eventually it sort of sunk in. It's like, okay, I get this. You know, let's put ourselves out there. Let's, let's push ourselves. And another analogy is, you know, jump out of that airplane and build a parachute on the way down. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because we all have this amazing opportunity right now in our lives um, to grow and, and, and really master what, what we're good at and become masters of what we would like to sort of be good at. And again, please take the opportunity to learn something new. Embrace this time. I don't believe we'll have this opportunity to have so much downtime in our lives uh, again. Uh, and I think we've got the rest of this year to sort of sort and put our ducks in a row and let's pray and see how 2021 unfolds. But when it does unfold, boom, we can smash it between the eyeballs and we can go out there, you know, with our heads held high and really look, at our, look back in 2020 and say, yeah, it was a challenging year. It was a tough year. We, we had to make some radical decisions. We had to cut down. We had to minimize. We had to hunker down. But gee, I came out the other side learning so much, A, about myself, about other people and what I can do for other people. And I'd love to just finish off by saying to all of you, this is something which we share with all our students in a world where we can be anything be kind a and b let's go out there every day and do a random act of kindness because in that way we can make a change in this world so from richard and on behalf of richard and myself thank you thank you so much and we'll be announcing more webinars in the very near future you will get a copy of this webinar as well and uh, again any questions reach out to us thank you for Thanks, Rich. Thanks for your time. And thank you, Carol. And wish um, you all a great rest of the day or evening, wherever you are in this world. And thank you once again for all the lovely compliments. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.